Welcome to the Beargrass Christian Church podcast. My name is Dee Decker, and I'm the Director of Communications here at Beargrass. This week, Reverend Rob Schrader turns our focus from hope to peace as we enter into the second week of Advent. Here now, Reverend Rob Schrader. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Isaiah. It's the 11th chapter, the first 10 verses, and it'll be on the screens behind me. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in those who fear the Lord. Uh, He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness, the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand in the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him and his dwelling shall be glorious. It's the word of God for the people of God. God. Well, today we turn the page from Advent 1 to Advent 2. And so we went from hope uh, last week toward uh, peace uh, this week, as we march through the fourfold uh, progression of, of, of Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love. And so as we turn the page to peace this week, it directs our thoughts and, and, our, uh, and our meditations for the, for the week. And, and I have to confess to you that of the four topics, hope, peace, joy, or love, this is the one uh, with which I struggle the most. So naturally, that's the one that Lee said, here, why don't you preach Advent too? Um, it's the way it works when you're an associate. Uh, don't take that the wrong way. It's not that I'm kind of an argumentative guy and, and opposed to, to peace. I, I'm pretty laid back. And yes, I, I want and long for a world of peace. Don't you? Yeah, it's not rhetorical. Don't you? Yeah, absolutely. We all do. But I find this concept of peace to be difficult to wrangle, partly because it seems so disconnected and, and far away from us. And partly because we misunderstand, I think, what peace really means. Peace feels like a, a vapor or, or a wisp or something that's just out of reach. And so it's frustrating. Let, oh, let, me, let me check your experience. Do you feel like that right now, our world, as you think about our world, are we a world at peace? I don't think so either. Let's pull it in a little closer. How about our nation? Are we a nation right now at peace with itself and one another? No. Far from it. Worst I've ever seen it. How about our state? Are we at peace? Not really. 
So you see what I mean? That it feels as though things are not as they should be, but yet we come to church and we want to talk about, oh, peace, everybody be at peace. Kumbaya, go, go, you know, peace, it's great. And so we get frustrated, you know? Sometimes you can dial this into your personal life as well. It is December the 8th. That's what the calendar tells me, which means we are in full swing for the holidays. Amen. I mean, it is 90 miles an hour from now until basically New Year's. Uh, My house, uh, maybe yours is the same. It looks like Santa's workshop exploded all over everything and left remnants everywhere. Lisa and I, but let's be honest, mostly just Lisa is working through the list to make sure everybody has the right gift and we have the right this for that person and whatnot. I see you husband's going, yeah, it's the same and I get it. It's, uh, and, and don't even talk about the calendar meetings that we have to have. If we sit down and we try to figure out now, how are we going to get to see your family on this day and my family on that day? And, and then we've got to, we've been invited to that party and then we've got to go here and we got to go there and we got, anybody else feel like your to-do list looks like this, but your time to do it in list looks, I'm a lot of nodding heads. So I'm not alone. Does that feel like peace to you? No, me either. What about work? Maybe Christmas is your jam. You're happy, content. You're looking at me going, I don't get it. This is the best time of the year. Fine. What about work? Now, don't misunderstand, Jim. I love my job. I promise I do. I have the best job in the universe. But the best job in the world, they still have to pay you to get you to do it, right? And if you know the the kind of pace that that work often brings, sometimes work doesn't feel like peace, does it? In the the seven years before I came back to full-time ministry, I worked in sales for a enormous faceless fortune 500 kind of kind of company you know one of those companies where the email from the vice president wrecks your whole month anybody ever worked for one of those yeah exactly so yeah maybe you've had a good quarter well we're going to expect another good quarter for you next month right oh you had a good year well we'll need 15 percent growth next year anybody been in one of those situations up and to the right every graph right we always got to go more do more get more uh make more but we got to do it with what less yeah you feel that stress right does that feel like peace No, it doesn't. Let's dial it in even a little more. What about family? I love my family. I'm very lucky, but let me paint you a little picture here and see what, see if you have any flashbacks or memories right now in my house. I have a 15 year old, a 13 year old, a 12 year old and a nine year old. Jesus, take the wheel. Uh, There are days when I cannot describe my household as peaceful. Any parents of teenagers in the room or anybody that survived raising teens? Yeah, thank you. Now, I love my kids. Don't get me wrong. They are the light of my life, and I am very lucky. But all kidding aside, I know that even for some people in this room, the thought of family is anything but peaceful. And that hurts. And the holidays dig that up in in a particularly stressful way, don't they? As we think about the relationships that aren't what they should be or aren't what we wish they would be. Or, Or maybe the kind of tension that exists in a relationship that's struggling. Or maybe the memory of someone who we wish was here but isn't. All of that gets wrapped up into this family and relationship stuff. And does that end up feeling like peace? Well, no, it can be a challenge. But you know what I think one of the greatest challenges to our sense of peace actually is? It's right up here. Any of you have that little voice? 
that little voice in the back of your head. It's small, but loud. And in this case, we're not talking about God. We're talking about that little voice in the back of your head that likes to remind you of all the many mistakes that you've made in your life. That little voice in the back of your head that likes to tell you just how inadequate you are for whatever task it is that you're facing. Or the the little voice that likes to tell you about the 15 other people that would be better at whatever challenge or task that is set before you. Anybody have one of those? It's just me. You thought it was just you though, didn't you? A lot of us have that, right? Most of us, I dare say all of us, you have that moment where something inside yourself challenges that sense of, of peace that unsettles you in an unhealthy way. Well, that's part of what makes peace such a hard thing to wrangle. And then we come to church, it's, oh, peace, peace, everybody be at peace, right? And it feels defeating if we're honest, and the scripture is really very little help. I, we look at it and it's beautiful. This is scripture that comes up every year around Advent. So it's familiar, right? The, the wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall live with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together. And a child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall graze, yada, yada, yada. It's pretty. It feels absolutely unattainable to me. I mean, unless you know how to turn a lion into a vegetarian, I don't know how we're supposed to replicate this in this life. I don't, I don't get it. And, and so what do we do with this? Now, see, this is one of those moments where I feel like the real meat or the message that, that we draw out of this actually doesn't come from within the passage so much as comes around the passage. It's the context out of which, the matrix out of which this text arises that I think has something to say to us. Now, we've got pretty good evidence that Isaiah is an 8th century BCE prophet. And so he's doing his ministry somewhere around 740 to 700 BCE. So long time ago. And we're in a period of Israel's history that we call the divided kingdom. The, the, the nation has split. So this is after David and after Solomon and all that it splits. The Northern kingdom is Israel. Okay. And they get their capital over in Samaria. The Southern kingdom is now called Judah and they, their capital is Jerusalem. That, Assume they have the better lawyer in the split. Um, and, and that joke fell flat in first service too. Man, I thought that was, I thought that was funny. I'm divorced. I guess that's why I thought it was funny. Anyway, so you've got Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Isaiah is a southern kingdom prophet, and he's operating around uh, Jerusalem, best we can tell. And what's happening around them at this time is the height of the Assyrian Empire. This is the period of history when they reach their zenith, and they are the most bloodthirsty, expansive empire we've seen in some time. At a maddeningly, frighteningly uh, fast pace, they're taking over city after city and kingdom after kingdom, up to and including when they take over Israel and send Israel into exile. Now, at this point, Judah and and Jerusalem hold strong for now. But they get to bear witness to Assyria laying waste to the kingdom of Israel and sending all of the important people, shipping them off to other parts of the Assyrian empire in exile. And it's against that backdrop that Isaiah gives us these words. Well, now you have my attention because with that going on, with Assyria knocking on the door, with what looks like almost sure and certain defeat and hopelessness, if in that moment, Isaiah has the gall, the audacity, the, I don't know, naivete to start talking about peace and the peaceful kingdom. It's so absurd that I've got to listen. Now he doesn't say it anywhere in here. There's, there's not the word peace 
in this passage, but you would agree that what he describes here sounds like a peaceful situation, right? Where even predator and prey lie down together and there's no more, they don't destroy each other anymore. And so even though it doesn't say the word peace, it feels like peace. And we've got to believe, I think that Isaiah is drawing upon the, the ancient Hebrew idea of peace, Now, that word that we translate as peace from Hebrew is shalom. And so anywhere in the Old Testament where you're seeing peace, that's the word you're getting. And it's a beautiful image, but it is so much bigger and so much more than just the end of violence or or the laying down of arms. Shalom has a bigger meaning behind it. And so it takes on a better and bigger cultural role uh, in that community. Even up to today, if you're in a Jewish community, shalom is used as a, a greeting. When you meet one another, shalom, it's good to meet a shalom, you know, and, and it is a sense of, of, of blessing one another with peace. In that same geographic area, if you take a, a, a Muslim uh, gathering, then their greeting, you may know this, salam aleikum, right? It's peace of God with you. Well, that word salam, shalom, are right, you get it? So we've got the same root here. So it's this big concept of peace. The root of the word shalom actually means fullness or completeness or wholeness. Now that's different from peace, isn't it? And so when you're wishing someone shalom, or you're greeting someone with shalom, it's more than just, hi, peace to you, nice to meet you, I'm not going to punch you. It's more like, hi, peace of God, the fullness of God be with you. Because that's the other big part of shalom, is that it's a faith term. This is a peace that goes beyond our understanding. This is a peace that comes from God. And so when we see these kind of hyperbolic images from the prophet, I think that's why. Because this peace is from God and therefore bigger than anything we could ever imagine. Well, that's great. But how do we get it? How do we get there? Now, the image Isaiah gives us here is he says, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. I like that. What he's doing is he's drawing us back to uh, the Davidic kingdom. Jesse is, of course, the father of King David. King David is the height of Israel's power and influence, right? And so if you're a computer person, he's taking them back to their last safe reset, right? He's looking at it saying, yeah, the world seems bad right now. A serious knocking at the door. But remember what God did for us then. And he says, from that root, from that moment of power and might from God will come life. In the face of hopelessness, what Isaiah is reminding them is that God is continuing to work in their midst. A branch shall grow out of his roots and the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. Wait a minute. Him. Now who's him? Well, we're in a room full of Christians and it's Advent. So you're going to say Jesus, right? And, and later Christian thinkers like us have looked at these words and we've said that. We've said, well, yeah, that sounds like Jesus. I mean, let's test it. Uh, fear of the Lord, wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge. Does that sound like Jesus? Are you awake? Does that sound like Jesus? <laughs> That's a tough room. Yes, it sounds like Jesus, right? And so that's why when people look back, when we as Christians with the knowledge of Jesus look back, we say, oh, well, that, that, that sounds like Jesus. But I'm not convinced that's what Isaiah had in mind. 
Now, don't misquote me. We're going to go out of here. People's going to go, Rob doesn't think Jesus is the Messiah. That's not it. All right. I don't think that's what Isaiah meant. And here's why. Okay. So Assyria is knocking on the door and things look bleak and, and doom and it's awful. And he's trying to bring them a word of the Lord, a prophecy to lift them up and encourage them. And so here's the way it would sound if he meant Jesus. Guys, don't worry. Take heart. In 700 years, there's going to be a guy. In Bethlehem. Great. So my great, 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 great grandchildren can look him up and they'll be at peace. But in the meantime, what am I going to do about the army that's at the gate, Isaiah? So you see what I mean? I don't think Isaiah would have had that in mind necessarily. Or if he did, it would be a very little comfort to the people. So what I want to do is when I take what we call this messianic promise, right? This, this Jesus piece of the Isaiah text, we're going to take it and we're going to set it over here and, and know that, yeah, that's maybe how we look at it. But how would Isaiah's community have heard this? Where would they have found hope and life in these words? I think Isaiah may be talking about a king. I mean, that would be the framework that he's familiar with, uh, but it's a different kind of king, See, he hits you with wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge. Yeah, all that sounds great. But then he shall judge by what his eye, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. What? And then there's this words about righteousness for the poor and equity for the meek. In the face of staggering threat, Isaiah's lifting up leadership that considers the poor and the meek. That's wildly different from what they would have expected. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. A nonviolent response. With the rod of his mouth, his words will strike the earth. And the wicked, will they get killed with the breath of his lips? I have a sense that means redeemed, not really killed. This is a different kind of king. We're not expecting a king, are we? And we made sure to tell Andy that this morning. Yeah, it's a different sort of world now. We're not looking for kings. So what do we look for? The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I think we're supposed to get something from that word spirit. You feel that? Four times. Spirit, 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 spirit. So what is that? Well, the word that they translate there, that means spirit is ruach. It's a Hebrew word, and it means, yes, spirit, but it also means wind. And it also, more theologically significantly, means breath. In Genesis, when God raised up a human from the earth and breathed the breath of life into him, It was the ruach, the breath of life, the spirit of God. See how playful Hebrew is? I love it. And so everywhere in the scriptures where you see this breath of life that that animates all of creation, it is the very spirit of God that gives and brings and sustains all life. You know who else carries the breath of life? You do, and you do, and you do. Pretty sure you do, and I do. You and me, we carry within us the breath of life. The spirit of the living God lives and breathes and functions within us. It is that power that sustains us and carries us and moves us through whatever Assyria we may be facing 
in our time right now. We can face it with courage, knowing that the promise that Isaiah gave to the people is the same as the one that we inherit now. And that is that the promise of God is more powerful than any version of human destruction. Let me say that again. The promise of God is more powerful than human destruction. I wish, like anything, that I could wipe away all of the pain and the conflict and the brokenness that we experience in this world. More specifically, leave that aside. I wish I could wipe it out of your life. But I can't. Unfortunately, what we know about the human condition is we're going to have conflict. We're going to suffer brokenness. We're going to feel this disconnection from the peace and tranquility that we want. What I can wish for you is that you will experience God's shalom in the midst of that brokenness. That by the very spirit of God that gives life to our bodies and inspiration to our minds and hearts, we can face our challenges with strength and with hope. We can face them in a different way. We can function the way that that Isaiah picks up here. We can choose that peaceful path and seek God's wholeness for us, for our family, for our coworkers, for the entire world. And so, my friends, my wish for you this Advent and beyond is just that. That in the faith and spirit of God, you would face your challenges with boldness, moving toward and believing in God's shalom for your life and for the world. Shalom, my friends. Amen. We would love to see you around the table at one of our Christmas Eve services. Our 5 p.m. service will feature our children's choirs. The Beargrass Praise Team will be bringing music to our 8 p.m. service. And at the 11 p.m. service, Beargrass Choir sings. All of our services include communion and candlelight. For more information on all the activities happening at Beargrass, visit our website at www.beargrass.org. Until next time, peace.